Before we get started on the pod today, we wanted to take a second to let you know that this episode is being sponsored by Auxilio Partners. Our calling is freeing you to pursue your call to plant. Find out how at auxilio.partners/5points. Listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. On the show today, we have Dr. Ben Glad, whose scholarly work has been helpful to both Hunter and I in our work here in Carrierville. Actually, I'm using one right now in my preaching series. It's your, I believe it's your that newest one. one. Story to be told. Yeah, story to be told. That is a great book. It's a great walk through the. The, the canon of scripture, the story of redemption, it's super helpful. Dr. Glad casts a beautiful vision for the role of church planning in the kingdom of God. So here we go. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Glad. He's a New Testament professor at Reform Theological Seminary. He is also an author, and hopefully you will check out some of the books that he has written. We'll talk about those today in our podcast. Recently, I was working on a, my dissertation, and I had a room full of books and wasn't paying close attention to who the authors of the different books were. I was going to come back and get to that at a later point when I had to drill down my footnotes. And I just remember a series of books. I kept underlining things and saying, boy, that's good. I need to use that. That's helpful. This guy gets it. This is... Th- this is great stuff regarding kingdom multiplication and the theology of church planting. And then I finally decided to look at those books to see who keeps saying these things that are so helpful and that I like. And it was Ben Glad. And I thought to myself, at some point, I've got to get him on this podcast. This will be super helpful for the church planners and theology nerds that are out there in our audience. And so our guest, our lives actually overlap. I am lived in Jackson, Mississippi for almost 16 years and planted a church there. I was an assistant pastor there. I went to RTS and Ben is in Jackson as well. We He lives in the same community where I used to live and he's a member of Highlands Presbyterian Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. And that church was instrumental in helping to start the first church that I planted. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Ben Glad. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me on, Hunter. I, I don't think if you, I don't know if you remember this, but when my wife and I first moved here, perhaps even visited when I was interviewing, uh, we went to Madison Heights when you guys were renting at, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, St. Joe's Saint, Catholic Saint, School. St. Joe's. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, I heard you a couple times. We went to we went to service there, and it was great. I remember that. It was a lot of a lot of fun. Oh, I'm I'm really good at putting people to sleep. So hopefully it was a <laughs> I didn't sleep a, a formative nap for you sleep. that day. I did sleep. So um, it was good. I remember that. Well, we're thankful that you are able to join us. And one of the one of the ways that we usually begin our our episodes is just to ask our guest to tell us. A little bit about yourself and your family, call to ministry, and, and, and how you ended up teaching New Testament at RTS. How I ended up here. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, 
Uh, I, I finished my PhD in 2008, right when the housing market collapsed. And so nobody was hiring. Nobody mm. was hiring at that. Point. Right. So God's sovereign. Um, I taught at Wheaton College. So I finished, taught at, stayed at Wheaton College for two years. We had our first kid. So I needed to get a full-time job so my wife could stay home with our with our son and um, nobody, again, nobody was hiring. So uh, a couple of friends of mine that were in Apple Valley, California, it's Northwest, uh, Northeast of LA. And uh, it was such a great time. I love those guys. And so I was uh, a, an associate pastor out there for a couple of years. And then while I was there, I wasn't looking for a job. And Miles Van Pelt, who's the Dean of RTS Jackson uh, called me up and said, Hey, would you be interested in, and teaching at RTS Jackson. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll interview. And so interviewed and I came out and uh, I've been here ever since. I was 10 years ago this January. It's hard to believe it hasn't felt like 10 years. It's felt maybe like five or six to me. Just the, the years just go by so fast when you're having a great time. And I have so many great friends here, my colleagues, and um, I really appreciate it. So that's, yeah, that was uh, almost 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I remember when you, when you, you came, I think I was on campus one day and interrupted one of your classes while you were lecturing by just yelling out, hey, Ben. So uh, <laughs> that's quite common. Uh, so you, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, some of your books were unbelievably helpful for me in terms of thinking through the theology of church planning and church multiplication for my dissertation. So I was looking at going back and looking at uh, your recent book uh, from Adam and Israel to the church in that work. You, you talk about how we are to live as prophets, priests, and Kings, since we belong to Christ. What are the implications in your opinion of this for church planting and, and church planters? So it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to answer it the other way. What, what's not an implication, right? Uh, let me just focus on one comes to mind. Sure. Um, so one of the things, one, one of the central things that vice regents do, so Adam and Eve, they are vice regents. What that means is they don't rule independently of God. They rule on behalf of God. That's what a vice regent does. So here we are, we are in Christ, Christ is our sovereign. He is our, he is our ruler. So we rule on behalf of Christ. So we are here on the earth. He's in heaven ruling at the right hand of the father. So how do we rule here on the earth? And one of the main facets of ruling is to subdue evil. So how do we subdue evil? Well, we don't do it with a sword. We don't do it with a knife. Uh, we do it with the word of God. The word of God is what subdues evil. It's what subdues um, all untruths and lies and deceptions. And it's, it, it, so it, it subdues evil. It's amazing. God's word, the pro, I'm thinking here of the proclaimed word in the pulpits and in the Sunday school. It simultaneously subdues evil and it creates life. It's a life-giving word. And so it's really these two facets. I, there, we could talk about many other facets, but it's really these two that come to mind. That is church planners. This is, it really is important that you preach the Bible 
over and over and over again. That's how you subdue evil. That's how you subdue the flesh. That's how you subdue, subdue the culture's influence on our lives. And it simultaneously then, it generates, it is a life-giving word. And so these, these two things, that is really the focus of, my, in my mind, what a church planner should do, and not, not just a church planner, but any pastor. When you stop doing that, when you pay more attention to culture, more attention to, it's, it's funny how we're, so it's 2021, and and if you just look at the books and the blogs that are out there, the podcasts, so much of the material out there is, well, you got to better understand the culture. You got to, you got to engage the culture. If we can just engage the culture better, we will be more successful. You know what? I think Christians understand the culture really well. In fact, I think we understand it too much <laughs> at times because yeah. we're on social media. We, we get, we get to, we, we study the culture too much. I, I, I think I'm really convinced of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think the problem is, learning more about the culture, what makes the culture tick. It's very easy. Let me tell you what the makes the, what makes the culture tick. Maybe this needs to be my, my next book. <laughs> the, what makes the culture tick is the dragon, right? It's the dragon influencing the beast of the sea and the beast of the land and infusing uh, the governments and infusing false religion with lies and deception. That's what motivates. That's, that is the engine behind or within culture. And so really what pastors have to do to, to subdue the dragon, to subdue the beast, um, we need to read the Bible and we need to proclaim it. Um, this is what, what is going on in culture. This is amazing. In some respects, I'm so thankful for this because the church has the opportunity to be different. Like, man, look, we're different in our sexuality. We're different how in every way, see, because for, for 30 years, really since the early 90s, the church has been giving up all of what makes us distinct as Christians. Oh, we want worship? Okay, we'll do worship that way. We wanted to run us, run or want to run a church like a CEO model? Okay, sure, that sounds good to us. So we get we've sold the farm, Hunter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything left. Right. So finally, we now finally, this is our moment to shine. Like, hey, look, our marriage is different. Our parenting's different. Right. Everything about us is different. And so, how do we do it? By reading God's word and by proclaiming a, a gospel that subdues evil and that gives life. That's what. That's really a primary uh, facet or facets of what it means to rule on behalf of God right now. Right. Yeah. So I was watching a movie. <clears throat> Gosh, going back to Mississippi here, I was watching the movie the other day, The State of Jones with Matthew McConaughey. Right. right. And there's a there's an opening scene where his not to give away the movie, but I think it's been out long enough that this is not a spoiler alert. It, his nephew gets shot and wounded and is dying on the battlefield. And he runs out there to get him. Um, it amidst just a very difficult and trying situation to rescue him, to save him and bring him back behind the line. And as I was watching that, it reminds me of what <clears throat> I was thinking about this. It reminds me of what you're saying that for church planners, we have an opportunity with the means of grace to just rush into the, to rush into the battle and, and to, you know, just to go headlong in, into the storm that that is our culture and you're so right about uh, we're 
I think believers are far more entrenched in the culture than they actually are in the word of God for the most part. Yeah. I, I am in, in every day that goes by, I'm just more and more convinced of this. And, and it, it really is a simple, it really is simple. Like we, we need, and I see this in my students, we need to learn the basic flow of the Bible. We need to learn basic biblical truths. We spend so much time over some of the nuances of this or that. I'm like, you know, but you don't even know the basic structure of the Bible. You're getting way ahead of yourself. Right. Kids too. They, we need to learn. So I've, I've really been frustrated with, I always get so funny, Hunter. Like I, I, um, whenever I get frustrated at something, I end up writing a book on it. And so one of the, (laughs) (laughs) so one of the things I've been frustrated with in the last couple of years is just, uh, uh, just the lack of good material for, for children. And uh, so I've just, I mean, I do the catechism with them and stuff, but some of the kids stuff that some of the workbooks and I just, everything's hokey or it's, or it's, too complex or whatever. Mm. So my, my current, I sort of, I feel like it changes all the time, but my current, I just sit down and I read the Bible with them and just, just read it together. We go over it and talk about it. They ask questions. Just been doing it. It's been amazing. I'm like, yeah. you know, they just need to learn basic Bible stuff. And right. I feel like it's just not kids. It's, it's young people. It's adults. We just need to know the, how can you engage the culture? How can you plan a church? If you don't know what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we've mentioned one book from Adam and Israel to the church. Let's mention a second one here. Hopefully I'm helping yourselves. Um, (laughs) In, in your, in another book that you've written, making all things new uh, with Matthew Harmon, you discuss the significance of inaugurated eschatology, which I actually used in a sermon a couple of weeks ago and told the audience that that was a fancy word that they could use at work to impress their family and friends. And I had a guy text me a couple of days later and say, believe it or not, I used inaugurated eschatology at work. And, um, and uh, I thought that was pretty funny, but uh, so that's good. You, you discuss that and inaugurated eschatology in the church. How should this shape the church's, thinking regarding the need for multiplication? That's great. That's a great question. So inaugurated eschatology, it's, it's, it really is a basic idea. There are some nuances that you have to capture, but really the idea is that this is, this is the very end. This is but when, when Christ in his life and his ministry, he began the end. It's, this is the, the beginning of the end. So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament looked forward to the end of history and said, all of these things are going to happen at the end of history. Well, what are those things? The great tribulation, false teaching, the great deceiver will arrive, and then the Messiah will come and will transition into the new age. And there will be resurrection. The spirit will be poured out. There will be forgiveness of sin. Uh, uh, the new creation will come in. So all of these facets, they're all connected together. Like you can't have one eschatological facet without the other. So if you have the pouring out of the spirit, well, you're immediately going to have forgiveness of sin, uh, the resurrection, uh, new creation. All of these facets are are intertwined. You can't just single them out, which is mm-hmm. often, which is right. a mistake that people make. So the idea then is 
Well, in Jesus, when, when he says, oh, the kingdom's here, well, immediately it's, this is, this is the end. The kingdom is here. The new creation is dawning. The spirit's being poured out, all of these things. But what's so fascinating about it is that the, the disciples are thinking in terms of just one coming of the Messiah. So like, oh, Jesus is here. This is the end. This is the new creation. Overthrow Rome, establish the kingdom, and we're good to go. Right. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, guys, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, well, you're going to come back, what, like next week? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a little longer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we now have the two comings of the Messiah. So Jesus, Jesus began the latter days. He began the end of history in his first coming, and he will complete it in his second coming. So we live between these two advents. And so this has massive implication for, for the church, right? And for how it shapes. Let's go back to preaching. Okay. We talked about sure. it. So because this is the latter days and because the tribulation is here, there is always a sense of false teaching. So one of the things that we get in the New Testament Start, Jesus mentions this. We really start to see it in Paul and in John's writings. Uh, John just comes out and says, oh, by the way, the Antichrist is here. How do we know it's the Antichrist? Because there's false, false teaching. So what that does is that church, that church leaders, especially planners, have to be on the lookout for, for those who contort the gospel, for those who manipulate the person of Christ or manipulate precious Christian doctrine and immediately be all over that and guard against that sort of thing. It's not false teaching. It's not stuff that's so different that does not, it, people are, people are going to be deceived by radical stuff. They're going to mm-hmm. be deceived by, by tweaks. Right. So, so the stakes are so high. And so church leaders, pastors, teachers, church planners, they have to think, okay, their congregation, they're all over the internet. They're listening to podcasts. How can they, we've got to gather around the word and we've got to weed this stuff out. We've got to be very careful and watch our hearts for false teaching to creep in there. And then the other hand is persecution. So one of the things that marks the great tribulation is persecution against the church. I mean, this has been going on for 2000 years. There's nothing unique right. about it now. Sure. And so Christians, it's funny, Christians in the West, they're like, oh my gosh, some person verbally attacked me. This is the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. You know, the, oh my gosh, we're going to have to start paying. We're going to start paying taxes on our property. This is persecution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, but look at the church in China, look at the church in other parts of the country. I mean, they are, they are physically being assaulted and coming in. I mean, the, the, the latter days is very real to them here in the West. It's not real to us. Mm-hmm. We start to, we get, we get pieces of it here. But, and so when it comes to hostility against the church, I mean, like, yeah, this has been going on for 2000 years. We need to be expecting, just anticipate this and, and prepare yourself for this. If you're unprepared, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that persecution is, especially if you look in Western culture and our podcast is, you know, is sort of centered for North America for the most part. Uh, you know, one of the things to think through in terms of planting churches is, our culture is going to continue in this slide towards a post-Christian norm. And so this should not be surprising, but what we have to do is be prepared for it in that 
we continue to plant churches that exactly we don't exactly. give in we don't give in to the persecution right. we go headlong into the battle or into the storm to plant more churches to provide this gospel centered preaching points that you've talked about and to sort of stake our claim for the centrality of the word in a culture that doesn't want to to listen any longer and you know, you, that's exactly right, Hunter. And you know, it's amazing. It's, it's paradoxical and even ironic at points. If you look at the church in Acts, the church multiplies in the midst of persecution. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing, right? It's an amazing thing. It doesn't make any sense. You're like, oh, well, how can, how can the church multiply when it's being attacked? You would think it would collapse sure. under pressure. But, you know, this is really part of the nature of the kingdom is that Jesus says, oh, by the way, in the at the point of ultimate suffering, when he is on the cross, he is king. He is the son of God. So when the centurion cries out and says, surely this is the son of God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He's, yeah. you would think he would say that in the, in his resurrection when he's, when right. he's, you know, later on, but he says it in the midst of suffering. So that tells us that Jesus kingship and his kingdom and the nature of the church is actually, it succeeds in the midst of suffering and persecution. Mm-hmm. That is, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Right. And that, and that's good stuff for the church planner. That's, you know, trying to plan a church amidst COVID and you're feeling like, you're, Oh, I know you're a failure yeah. or nothing's going right. Or how could this happen? But we look to Christ and we look to him and his suffering on the cross. And that's the, Gosh, that's the that's the fuel that we need for the journey. Isn't and isn't isn't the gospel clearest in the midst of difficulty? When things are going great, when people have money in the bank and steady jobs and a boat in the water, the gospel is right. It's muddied. It's right. muddied and it's blurred. But when things are going poorly. <laughs> <laughs> right because it strips it strips everything away so you can't trust in the boat you can't trust in the bank account you can't trust in your house or your family right yeah. it's that's when i think the gospel is, is most precious to us and so yeah. i think that's when the path it's just it's just difficult for the pastor to shepherd people when they're going through that but i yeah. but there's an amazing pastoral opportunity there right there is and and to continue on on this conversation you know, church planners are, they're people and they live in a fallen world and they're trying to plant amidst COVID, the financial struggle, gathering people. And I've been in in enough conversations to know that this is hard. I'm planning my second church amidst COVID. It's hard. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. Ben, you've, you've been through two recent struggles lately. Uh, the, The, your house, burning down and your father passing away. Uh, I know that's quite personal, but how has the the gospel encouraged you and strengthened you and guided you through this very, very difficult time? How, how, what are, what words do you have for those church planners out there that are in the thick of it? Yeah. So it's an amazing thing, right? I mean, to see everything you have literally, in dumpsters. Like I remember there were 12, it took 12 dumpsters to haul all of our stuff away. So I remember looking at the first couple of dumpsters. It's like, Oh yeah, see that, that sofa, my wife and I saved up four months to buy that thing or, Oh yeah. Uh, my friends gave me that for Christmas or, 
oh yeah, that's my kids, whatever. And so, so what, so that reminded me and I don't, I don't, I don't worship my stuff. I don't worship, I don't worship my stuff. Drive a car, have clothes. I don't worship it because if I do, it consumes me and it destroys me. So sure. I mean, I mean, I I mean, I knew insurance was going to cover it, but still, I don't, you like the stuff that you have. That's why you bought it. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's not like I bought stuff that I hated. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. So I liked my stuff. I didn't want my stuff to go anywhere. And so, but I, but at the end of the day, I mean, I remember this is amazing. So after the fire, it was on Thanksgiving day after the fire, um, we went, we got a hotel that night and my in-laws were with us. So we go to the hotel room. It's maybe 10 o'clock or 10 30 or 11. We were so tired. It was obviously a long day for us. So we go to the hotel and we're there with our kids. We have two kids, Judah Simon. They're 11 and 8. And so we told them, I mean, our attitudes, I mean, I was so impressed with my wife and with me, not with me personally, but just with, like, I wasn't losing my mind. I mean, I, you don't know how you're going to respond to these things unless you go through it. But we just sat down and said, look, guys, we don't, we don't worship our stuff. These are just things these are not, this is not true. This is not who we are. We mm-hmm. are in Christ. That's true. That's reality. And we just took it like it was just another day, woke up the next morning and just start the process of, of trying to get back, back in there. Um, what that reminded me was, it's just don't be consumed with buildings and with offerings and with numbers. Those things aren't real. Those things aren't, those things aren't real. That's not the, what is real is Christ, the gospel, the new creation. And then when my dad died a couple of weeks ago, of course I cried. Of course. Yeah. It was, it was difficult to say goodbye to the last, um, for the last time, but I'm a hundred percent sure I'm going to see him. I'm going to spend eternity with him and it's going to be bodily. It's going to be physical. It's going to be in the new earth. We're going to hang out together. We're going to do all sorts of great things together. He loved to build stuff. Mm-hmm. We love to play golf and we're going to do those things again. I mean, I really believe it. Yeah. Right. I, I be, you, you, you know, I really believe that. Sure. The Bible, the Bible, not only, this is amazing. The Bible not only says that it stakes our very salvation on like that. I think that's what's so fascinating uh, in first Corinthians 15 is that Paul says, you do realize that if we are not raised bodily, Christ died for nothing. Everything collapses. This is amazing. The but but it's not just Christ's death that that is is not. It's the entire Old Testament because this is what people forget. Earlier in chapter fifteen, he says, "Oh, by the way, the entire Old Testament anticipates Christ's death and resurrection." So let's put this together. If we are not raised bodily, the entire Bible is untrue. Mm. Yeah, the entire Bible right. is broken. God is unfaithful. God is not who he claims to be. There is no Bible. There is no great story. And there is no gospel if we are not raised bottomly. So, in other words, in other words, Paul banks, this is amazing. He banks everything on that precious doctrine. So, what do I have to do? I have to do the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I have to remind, right. You have to do that. You have to, you've got to do that. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. I, I said in a newsletter that I sent to supporters not too long ago that the, the ground, the soil of the empty tomb is the most fertile soil on earth. That, right. That's right. You know, it's, it, it all, it all comes forth from there and validates right. everything. Right. Um, right. So, la- so last question, and you're, you're a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson. You teach synoptics and acts among other classes. So, of course, you discuss the Apostle Paul and is, we like to call it his church planning journeys, not his missionary journeys. Uh, what stands out to you regarding Paul, his missionary slash church planting journeys and, and the church today? That's a great question. This is gonna, I'm going to kind of hit the repeat button a little bit, but it's a little bit different. Sure. I'm always amazed that, and it's a little different, of course, because Paul's method was to go into the synagogues and then to move into Gentile territory. But in both situations, when he, in a Gentile, like in Acts 17, or with the synagogues just throughout his ministry, he, he knew what he was talking about, and he immediately engaged the surrounding culture. He, he knew the scripture so well. Mm-hmm that he could engage with the, with the elite. Now, now Paul, uh, Paul is one of, Paul's one of them. He's more than one of a million. Not only is he, is he commissioned by the risen Christ? That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. But the guy is a genius. I mean, he even says himself, he's like, and he doesn't like to do this, but he says, Oh, by the way, I'm the smartest guy out of all of my classmates. Yeah. I right. am, I am, I am, he is a premier scholar. Peter even says in second Peter, Peter's like, that guy's kind of hard to understand <laughs> at points. He he know, in fact, in, in Galatians 2, when he has to confront Peter, why does he confront Peter? Because Paul understands the implications of the gospel better than Peter. Mm. Better than mm. Peter. And I would argue better than James. Mm. He understands he has he has the ability to grasp what the gospel is and its implications. And I think that's because he has a better handle on the Old Testament because uh, he was he was formally trained. Peter's not formally trained. James is not formally trained. He is formally trained. He's elite. All that to say is you have got to be trained. You have you may not have to be formally trained. Hopefully you're trained through RTS Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Here you. It's a perfect world, but you have got to know the scriptures. You have got, if you don't know the Bible, well, you have no business planting a church and engaging culture because you, this is a, this is a difficult time for the church yet. It's an amazing time for us to be very clear about what the Bible teaches. And if we're very clear about it, then what's amazing about this, is that the church is in a unique position it's because we are tired of gimmicks. See, we were doing gimmicky stuff in the nineties and the early two thousands, you know, the show, the lights, the sound, the, but fog now machines. fog machines, fog, we've got to have fog machines, got to have fog lasers, machines. maybe some lasers yep. from the sides. So we, we, those days are over praise the Lord because People can get that stuff in the world. People can get that stuff on YouTube. They don't, they're tired of that. What they want, they want to hear something different, something that's compelling, something that's the truth, something that the world doesn't give them. The world gives them lasers, 
and yeah. fuck. You right. see that? that, that yeah. But what but what Paul was offering is something that is that the culture cannot give them, and what church planners have to do. We've got to give we got to give these people something that the, that the world the world can't provide. The world can't provide truth. We can provide the truth. Mm-hmm. They can. There are gimmicks out there. Mm-hmm. So we've been giving them that. They're like, oh well, why should I go to church when I can just stay at home and get that? Right. World, yeah. but the world world can't give them truth. And they right. want, and people want truth, especially young people, especially sure. millennials. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, that's and that's a great way to end this this end this episode. <clears throat> the importance of the truth, the importance of God's word, and church planners going forth into a culture that's post Christian and saying, "Here it is. Here's your only hope in life and death." Ben, thank you so much for joining hey, us. Sure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, hey, for listen- Thanks, Hunter. <clears throat> hey, listeners, check out his books that we've mentioned. Um, they and uh, actually, I'm using one right now in my preaching series. It's your, I believe, it's that your one. newest one. Story the, be told. Yeah, story be told. That is a great book. It's a great walk through the the, the, the canon of scripture, the story of redemption. It's super helpful. I got so, a book coming out. Since we're on this thing, sure. And I'm getting one. Per, I'm getting one percent of your sales. Anyway, uh, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I thought it was uh, two, so I'll give you one though. Oh, okay. All right. Great. <laughs> I got a book coming out, uh, handbook on the Gospels, in just a couple of weeks, published by Baker, and it really it just goes through all the four Gospels and reads it from a biblical theological lens. And I think I think you guys will really like it. Good deal. Good deal. Well, all right. You have a good one. It was good speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see see each other sometime soon in Jackson. That'd be great. Sure thing. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. See you guys. That's the last word for now. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or our new email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank Auxilio for sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Dr. Glad for taking time to talk to us. Thanks to John for setting up the Zoom system. Thanks to Hunter for reading good books. Thanks to me for putting all this together. Thanks to God for allowing us to do any of this. Thanks to the Society of Reformed Podcasters for letting us be a part of their work. Thanks to